The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. So I was driving on Assembly Street in near downtown Columbia uh, in April of 2009. I was headed towards williams Bryce Stadium for all you Gamecock lovers out there. I could just barely start to see the stadium. I was about to turn left onto, I guess it's Rosewood Drive. And I got a call from my admissions counselor at Furman. So I was a senior in high school coming to the end of my uh, about to about to graduate the end of my uh, high school years, and I got a call from this guy, and, and he let me know I got the scholarship that I had applied for. That actually, very funny, I was originally rejected for, but thankfully there were enough people that said no to the scholarship that eventually it made its way down uh, to me, and I was so grateful and I was so excited because it was not going to be an opportunity to go to Furman really without this scholarship. And so God had been gracious, and yet I didn't even know it. There was this news I got from this one call. I remember the moment. I remember I was sitting. I was driving. I was turning left on a Rosewood Drive. got this call, and everything changed from that moment. And I thought it was going to change. It was going to be like, yes, I'm going to the, to the school I want to go to. I'm going where my sister went, where my grandfather went. My school's going to be paid for. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. That's what I thought I was going to do. And yet the Lord had totally different plans. He would use those four years to draw me to himself, to show me that I'm a sinner, to show me that I am in need of grace. He totally changed the direction of my life, my purpose, my passions. I assume that maybe you have had news like that. This just totally changed everything. Maybe you knew it in the moment, that it was changing everything, or maybe you had to look back and recognize, man, 14 years ago, that, that one phone call totally changed the trajectory of my life. I would not be here, I feel very sure, right now without that one phone call. In the book of Acts, Paul and his companion Barnabas are finishing up their mission journey. Through the guidance of the Spirit, they've gone many different places to proclaim Christ. Let's read Acts 14. We're going to back up just a few verses from what Libby read into verse 24. And we're going to see some news that that just totally changes everything. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas, last week we saw, they're they're starting to retrace their steps and they're just continuing to do that. You'll see a map on the screen, the ones underlined in red are the, the places they're just retracing, places they've already been, where they've shared the gospel, people have come to know the Lord, They're making their way back to the coast to then sail back home. They're speaking the word. Presumably, they're encouraging the saints, encouraging these young Christians. They're trying to strengthen their souls. And then they sail back across the Mediterranean Sea, back home to Syrian Antioch. That's their their home church. 
They're sending church. They're sponsoring church. It's kind of like for us. We have Bryce and Elizabeth Harrison. We have Hannah Squires. We have Rebecca Perkle. She wasn't directly a part of our church, but she was really sent out by us to Halifax, Nova Scotia. It would be like them returning home to give us an update. What's been happening over the last couple years? Who's been changed? What has the Lord been doing? So Paul and Barnabas, they gathered the church. They gave a summary of everything that had been happening, everything that God had done through them in Acts 13 and Acts 14 since they had been sent out. And it's totally incredible. If you guys go back and look at Acts 13 and 14, government leaders believed, men were blinded, devout Jews followed Jesus, Paul and Barnabas were persecuted, stoned, left for dead, and yet they were alive and continued to minister. Crippled men walked. But the most mind-blowing thing that happened, the news that changed everything is that Gentiles believed in Jesus and received eternal life. Gentiles, these people who are non-Jews, non-descendants of Israel, they are part of God's people and God's plan. It's amazing what God has done. The faith is for Gentiles. It is for the nations. If you see Gentiles or you see nations, you can read the other word in Scripture. And the great thing, this news changes everything. Their minds are blown. They don't understand even the full weight of what is taking place before them. I mean, just here and now, we are in Greer, South Carolina. Most of us in this room are Gentiles. Maybe some of us are of Jewish descent, but I'm going to presume to say most of us are Gentiles. They had no idea 2,000 years ago that people would be sitting in Greer, South Carolina, 10,000, 15,000 miles away from where this event is taking place, worshiping the same King Jesus. This news has changed everything. Gentiles are becoming followers of Jesus. So let's look at how the, the Jewish Christians respond. Let's read chapter 15, starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers." When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So certain conservative Jews, these people that, are, that come to be known as the Judaizers, They come and teach that the Gentiles were required to be circumcised and they were required to obey the law to become Christians. Essentially, Gentiles, non-Jews, needed to become Jewish to then become Christians. This salvation requires circumcision. It requires obedience to the law. Now, in many ways for us today, if you've been around the church, if you've been around the, the teaching of the Bible, it sounds kind of crazy. Like, this is not where we land, and that's what we're going to argue here this morning and talk about. 
But we need to remember, doctrine is developing at this time in Acts 15. This is the time of Paul's first letters. Almost maybe none of the Bible has even been written when this event is taking place. Or maybe some of it is starting to be written. Even the Gospels, Paul's letters. Doctrine is developing. They're having to ask important questions. So Paul and Barnabas argued and debated with these men And then they finally decide to go to Jerusalem to get the apostles' input on the question. There'll be another map on the screen. They're going to travel down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They're going to go about 450 miles, presumably. They're just walking, making their way down. And as they go, Luke tells us that they tell about the Gentiles converting. And this news, again, that changes everything brings such great joy to the people who hear it. Paul and Barnabas, they get to Jerusalem. They tell the church, they tell the apostles, they tell the elders everything that God had done with them. And the Judaizers stand up and they essentially make the exact same argument they did in verse 1. Verse 1 and verse 5 almost says the exact same thing. For Gentiles to be saved, they must be circumcised and keep the law. They must become Jewish. This is the way things have always been done. This is the way things should continue to be done. I think we can probably all relate to change being hard. Change is hard for these Judaizers. What is happening is not the way things have been done. If we think about the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, these just integral people of the faith have been doing all of these things a certain way, circumcision and obedience to the law. Why would we change now? Why now? What prompts this change? Think about the game of of baseball. This is the game I loved most growing up, and I think maybe if you're out here, even if you don't love baseball, even if it's the, the lamest thing in the world to you, there's something about just America's pastime of going out to the ball field, going to a drive game, getting a hot dog, maybe getting a, a cold beverage, eating cotton candy, eating popcorn. I personally love Dippin' Dots. Dippin' Dots at a, at a game, it's just the, the ice cream of the future. It's been the ice cream of the future for like 30 years now. I don't know when the future's actually going to arrive and Dippin' Dots is sold just everywhere, but it's amazing. It melts a little bit, and it's just perfect. I love Dippin' Dots. I love a baseball game. But a major change in baseball just happened this past offseason. I don't really watch baseball, but I like keeping up with just different sporting things that are going on. And purists and traditionalists have all sorts of opinions on these changes. And if there is a game that loves, loves tradition, loves purity, loves the way things have always been, history totally matters, it's baseball. And so essentially this past offseason they put in a shot clock, kind of like basketball, for both the hitter and the pitcher. you got to be on the mound, you got to be in the box by a certain time because people are just getting tired of watching baseball games for three hours, three and a half hours, 162 games, I calculated out, that's literally 20 days out of the entire year. Like 20 full days of baseball taking place. It's just mind-blowing. So they're trying to reduce the game, so they're putting this kind of shot clock out there, and the games have been reduced by 30 minutes by people having to be in the box at a certain time. But everybody has different opinions. The traditionalists, the new people, people that want things to go quicker, everybody has their opinion. Things changing is difficult. Change is hard. 
But here, in Acts 15, we're not just talking about the opinion of how long do you want a game to be, two and a half hours or three hours. We're talking about what is absolutely, positively true in its most essential state. What is required for Gentiles to be followers of Jesus? How do they receive eternal life? Let's read Acts 15, starting in verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Remember, we're in, we're in Jerusalem at this time. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. It's amazing to watch the early church work to work out what is true, to see doctrine develop. Doctrine didn't just all of a sudden appear and just be like, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. They've got to work through it. They have careful debate. And then verse 7, Peter steps up to the mic and says, In the early days, God made a choice through Peter to have the Gentiles hear the word, hear the gospel, and believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, one thing that is extremely difficult in reading biblical narrative is keeping up with a timeline. We began Acts chapter 1 on May 8th of 2022, so we're almost a year into studying Acts. There'll be a, a, a timeline on the screen. But Peter, or Acts 1, thinking way back to the beginning when we began that a year ago, Acts 1 is essentially 20 years prior to what we are talking about right here. Peter, what he's talking about in the early days, he's referring to five chapters previously, Acts chapter 10, that happened 10 years prior. Lots of time is passing. This stuff is not moving just week after week. It's easy. We just read a passage. Next week, we're going to come back. We're going to read the rest of Acts 15. It's like everything just kind of happens week by week as we are reading it. But certain time is passing. And then we get to the Jerusalem council, and it's around... 50 AD or so, God revealed himself through Peter by giving the Holy Spirit. Peter says, yes, that same Holy Spirit he gave to you Judaizers and to me, that same Spirit went to the Gentiles. And it went 10 years ago. There is no distinction between them and us. All of us need our hearts cleansed by faith. And then verse 10, Peter says, the Judaizers are putting an unbearable burden Upon the Gentiles. The Judaizers of all people should know that no one is able to fulfill the law perfectly. Probably all of us in this room recognize we are sinners. We fall short. It is a gift from God to have the law. The, the New Testament will talk about the law as a guardian, as a protector. But salvation cannot be obtained by obedience to the law. Romans chapter 2 verses 17 through 22, essentially says, Jews who boast because of the law, you actually fall short of the law. You preach against stealing, but you steal. You say that one must com not commit adultery, but you do. You say people shouldn't have idols, but you rob other people. And then Romans chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 says, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. 
For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, among the nations, because of you. Because you have the law, and yet you do not keep the law. Everyone breaks the law. You, me, the Judaizers, the Gentiles, our great forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the current Judaizers, they do not keep the law. It's kind of like, you probably all remember a day or you know, at least kind of a moment in time when we figure out our parents are not perfect. And it's kind of this surreal moment. Like, I thought my parents were perfect. I thought they knew everything. I thought they just knew how to act in every situation. And you come to this recognition. And it makes sense, but it's still unexpected. Verse 17, or verse 11, sorry. Salvation does not come through the law. Rather, salvation comes to us and to the Gentiles by grace, by the grace of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. Let's go on and read Acts chapter 15, verse 12 through 21. And that's where we'll, uh, we'll conclude in verse 21 for this morning. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, read Peter, Simon Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So debate, debate, debate. This is ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. And then everyone goes quiet Peter had talked, but now everyone's quiet. Paul and Barnabas go on to rehash to this group everything that God did. Paul and Barnabas are doing a lot of that. They just keep rehashing what God is doing with the nations. Signs and wonders are done amongst the Gentiles. Then James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he speaks up. And he first reiterates what Peter already said. All of this started with Peter in Acts chapter 10. The nations started to come to know God. Peter spoke, the Spirit fell, and the Gentiles were chosen to receive God's grace. And then James quotes Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. This is one of the minor prophets. And essentially this is showing that none of this is new. This inclusion of the Gentiles, this inclusion of the nations, this inclusion of non-Jews, it's not a new idea. David's kingdom was in ruins and destroyed, but God promised to restore it and have a people that would seek the Lord. And all of that was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God promised to always bring the nations or the Gentiles in, and that is what he is doing right now in Acts chapter 15. The inclusion of the Gentiles, it's not new. This was the plan from eternity past. After all the heavy debate, James then gives His kind of final judgment. Verse 19. Do not trouble the Gentiles who follow God. Do not require circumcision, becoming Jews, or obedience to the law. 
Essentially, James wants the Jews to understand salvation is a free gift of God, not to, and they're, they're not to offend or add any unnecessary burden to the Gentiles. Jews don't add to the Gentiles, and then he pretty much requests the Gentiles to do the same of the Jews. He wants to push Jew and Gentile towards unity. So he knows that Gentile Christians will have contact with Jewish Christians who are keeping the law. Verse 21 essentially says that Jews are still in every city. Moses is still preached every Sabbath day in every city. And so he gives three encouragements to the Gentiles to abstain from certain food, verse 20, and then one to abstain from sexual immorality. And to us, those feel very different, and they are different. Three about food and one about sexual immorality. These four encouragements for the Gentiles is not promoting obeying certain parts of the law. James has just made clear they do not have to obey the law to be found in Christ. The goal is unity in Christ. So James wants the Gentiles to avoid any unnecessary offense. So the three food requirements are contextually sensitive. They're designed for specific circumstances. Paul then in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 essentially gives the freedom to not do these things. Acts chapter 10, verse 15, if you guys remember back to Peter, this carpet is coming down from the heavens. And essentially God just says, eat. Eat all the food. Eat everything. Eat strangled meat. Eat blood. It's okay. But James tells the Gentiles, hey, let's give this up for a season for the sake of unity. But sexual immorality, this encouragement to avoid that, is different It's not an optional standard of obedience based on the rest of the teaching of the New Testament. James likely includes it here because of how corrupted the Gentiles' hearts and minds were. There's really no standard of sexual purity for the Gentiles. And again, remembering they're wrestling through, they're developing doctrine. And the rest of the New Testament is going to make clear that sexual immorality is something for all people to avoid. So overall, there's no need for the Gentile converts to cause unnecessary offense to Jews who are already Christians or who may become Christians. James does not want Jews to offend Gentiles or Gentiles to offend Jews. This whole issue is stemming from chapter 15, verse 1. The foundational question for this passage will be on the screen. Is do Gentiles need to become Jews to be saved? It's made clear in Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 29. We're going to read it here in just a second. Going on from those verses we read just a minute ago. The preceding verses says, No one can keep the law. Everyone breaks it. The circumcised are blaspheming God amongst the Gentiles. So what matters? Do Gentiles need to become Jews to be saved? Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. You never knew we were going to say circumcision so much on a Sunday morning. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, 
What is circumcision? A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the letter of the law. His praise is not from God, from man, but from God. Outward and physical circumcision or obedience is not what matters. Gentiles do not have to become Jews to be saved. So our foundational question is actually not, do Gentiles need to become Jews to be saved? We know the answer. The answer is no. Rather, our question is, how is anyone saved? How is a Jew saved? How is a Gentile saved? How are you saved? How am I saved? Romans 2 makes clear, circumcision of the heart by the Spirit is what matters for Jew and Gentile. Gentiles do not become Jews or follow the Mosaic law to be saved. Anyone is saved, and this will be on the screen, by the grace of Jesus through faith and by the Spirit who cleanses hearts. How is anyone saved? By the grace of Jesus through faith and by the Spirit who cleanses hearts. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus This is news that changes everything. You have the opportunity to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. God gives his spirit, verse 8 in chapter 15, with no distinction between Jew or Gentile, verse 9. Salvation comes through God cleansing hearts as they put their faith in him. So for the unbeliever in the room, if you do not know the Lord Jesus, if you do not follow the Lord Jesus, and really also for the believer in the room. I have some good news and I have some bad news for our question of how is anyone saved? The good news and the bad news is you need grace to be saved. This is encouraging because I think all of us want grace for our shortcomings. All of us fall short with friendships and our marriage and our parenting and we want grace. And yet this is also offensive because we want credit for our strengths, for the things that we do well. I'm a pretty good person. It's amazing when I go out and I try to share the gospel and evangelize and ask people what they know about Jesus, what they think about themselves. And they'll be like, I'm I'm a pretty good person. Jesus was a good person. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. And yet you need grace to be saved. Have you obeyed the law? No, no. No one has. No one can bear the yoke. The Queen of England is the exact same as the gypsy on the street. All people are level at the foot of the cross of King Jesus. We are not saved by what we do. God saves us by the grace of Jesus, cleansing our hearts as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. Maybe my favorite kind of two sets of verses... Uh, in, in all of the scripture is Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It'll be on the screen. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So this is Paul's very first letter. He's speaking to people wrestling through, do you have to become a Jew to be saved? And he says, hey, yeah, we're Jews. We're Jews by birth. We're not those Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times in this passage, he says, you cannot be justified by works of the law. You are not good enough. Christian and non-Christian, anyone in here, anyone hearing my voice, you are not good enough. You cannot be saved by works of the law. But how are we saved? It says three times again, we believe in Christ Jesus. We are justified by faith in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Jesus paid the ultimate price on Easter weekend for you and for me. You were called to turn and put your trust and faith in him. You don't clean up your life first. You don't get circumcised. You don't start observing the law. You don't stop swearing and stop drinking and be nicer and clean up everything about yourself. No, you turn by faith to the Lord Jesus who gave his life for you. How many of us are tempted to think that we've got to clean our lives up first before we can come to the Lord Jesus. For the Christian in the room, if you, if you struggle with sin, if you sin in a certain moment, it's like God doesn't love me anymore, Christ doesn't want me, Christ wants you, Christ paid it all for you. First John chapter 1 and 2 makes so clear that if we say we don't have sin, we make him to be a liar. We are all sinners. And what are we to do? We're to turn by faith to the Lord Jesus. Both for the very first time when the Lord saves us, when the Lord justifies us, when we're saved by grace through faith, and we turn by faith each and every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21, just going on a few verses later, it tells us that if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. But Christ died to save us. He died to save you. The gospel is for all people freely, and this news changes everything. So there's good news and there's bad news. You need grace to be saved. For the believer in the room, there's again good news and bad news. You received grace, so show grace. This is encouraging in many ways. It's good news. We all like grace. We all like love. We all like friendliness. We all want to be kind to one another, and we like that. But it's also bad news because showing grace is hard. If anyone has ever wronged you, offended you, hurt you, whether they actually did or it's just self-perceived, it's hard to get over that. Maybe a husband has wronged his wife. Maybe a wife has wronged his husband. A best friend to another best friend. A parent to a child. A child to a parent. You have received grace, so show grace. We are called to have a sensitivity towards one another. We're not to create stumbling blocks for each other. James makes clear in Acts 15, To the Jews, don't put a yoke upon the Gentiles. To the Gentiles, don't be boneheads and cause offense to your Jewish brothers and sisters. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, That you were free in Christ. So don't any longer put on a yoke of slavery. Be free. But we give up our freedom for the sake of others. When we are called to Christ Jesus, our Lord, when we're called to follow him, when we give our lives to him, we become a servant to all around us. 
It's not going to be on the screen, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. <clears throat> Paul says that he becomes a Jew to the Jews. He comes under the law to those who are under the law. To those outside the law, he does similarly. He stays outside the law. For the weak, he becomes weak. He becomes all things for all people, so that some might be saved through him. So if you're not a Christian in the room, you need grace to be saved. You need God's love poured out in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You need to turn by grace through faith. There is nothing you can do. It is the work of the Spirit in you cleansing your hearts. And believer in the room, you have been shown grace. So let us go show grace. Let us forgive. Let us not put stumbling blocks in each other's lives. Let us be sensitive to the consciences of those around us. And by God's grace, we will be unified in our work to see Christ made known here in Greer to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to study your word, to know you, to get to see doctrine, to see truth developed and wrestled through and debated, and to see your scripture come to life. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, from eternity past, you decreed that the Gentiles, that, that me standing here, would be able to be saved by grace through faith and not by, by becoming circumcised or by obeying the law. No, I would come to you by the work of the Spirit in my heart. Lord, we thank you for this good news that changes everything. I thank you for... The good news I heard 14 years ago that I'd be able to have the opportunity to go to Furman and then a year or two later you would, you would save me. You would take me out of darkness and bring me into the light. Lord, I pray in here this morning maybe there are people who've been in, in church their whole lives who've grown up around the church, around thinking Christianity is about what we do and how we dress and what we say, and all of those things, they, they, they matter, Lord. We know our fruits matter. And yet, Lord, we, we are only saved by the work of the Spirit cleansing our hearts, by us putting our faith in Christ. We're not saved by the law. We're not saved by what we do. We are wicked and desperate. Romans chapter 3 tells us that, that no one is good. No, not one. Not one of us is good. Not one of us is righteous in this room. We need grace. We need grace to be saved. We need grace to grow in our love for you. Lord, I pray you would save. I pray you would cleanse hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would also help unify our body. Lord, we have all kinds of opinions and ideas on different tertiary issues and, and, and issues to wrestle through. 
Lord, I pray that we would not give offense to one another. Lord, I pray that we would seek unity, that we would seek to put on Christ, that we would give up our freedoms for the sake of our brothers and sisters around us. Lord, would you unify the 180 members that make up Ridgewood Church so that we may go out into this world to make you known. Lord, what a gift it is to gather this morning. And we love you so much. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.